Hi, and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you again, Rachel. It's a delight to have you introduce us, and if you've never called the EPC's Office of the General Assembly and ask for the Benefits Department. You may not have had the chance to talk with this very talented person who I get the joy of working alongside of. Rachel works in our Benefits Office and serves, loves to serve the church and is super gifted. And and we're just deeply appreciative that she lends her voice to be the voice of In All Things. And thank you for joining us. This is a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We drop episodes every Friday. If you've not been with us before, uh, the EPC is a family of churches across the U.S., the Caribbean, and we're grateful to, uh, though we may be a, a smaller denomination, I think we are a denomination that has a, a very special place in uh, God's providence and kingdom in terms of what we're able to do and filled with some amazing people who serve in incredible ways. And we're going to be joined by one of those today. We're going to be joined by Aaron White. Aaron is the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in South Charleston, Ohio, and he's one of our preachers at this upcoming General Assembly. And so, Aaron, welcome to In All Things. Yeah, thanks, Dean. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. And we'll look forward to our audience getting to know you a little bit better and your sense of calling and how the Lord is going to use you how he's planning to speak through you to the best of your knowledge, at least coming up at this general assembly. So before we dig into that conversation, which I think you're going to find a rich one, um, just want to say that today's episode of In All Things is brought to you by the 43rd General Assembly and Global Priorities Summit coming up on June the 20th to the 22nd. That's coming up very soon. If you're listening in live time, and it's coming to Cherry Hills Community Church in the beautiful Highlands Ranch area of Denver, Colorado, maybe one of the most beautiful venues of any place that we hold General Assembly. And we haven't been to Cherry Hills in quite some time. And it's great to be back there again. The hospitality of uh, Senior Pastor Kurt Taylor and his staff has been outstanding. And we're really excited about welcoming everybody coming out to our GA. Our uh, registration at this point in time is up to pre-COVID numbers and maybe a little bit beyond. We're pretty excited about that. We've got some great offerings in all four of the gospel priorities. And I think as we come together as a church family, and I tend to think of the EPC as just that, it's more than a denomination. We are a family of churches on the move uh, for the Great Commission, starting in our local communities, but then spreading out to our Judea Samarias, and then, of course, engaged in some of the hardest places to the ends of the earth. And you'll have opportunities to dig deep in every one of those things, whether it's church planting domestically or church planting internationally through EPC World Outreach, or whether it's what it means to be a disciple, an effective biblical leader, or what it means to be part of a healthy church, which of course a healthy church is a, is a reproducing church. It's a church of disciples who are actively making disciples who are built into them to make disciples. And so it has that principle of replication built right into it, as did, I believe, the apostolic church. And so we're excited to come and help sharpen, that's the theme of our General Assembly and Global Priority Summit, to sharpen one another, as Ephesians 4.12 says, so that we could each be equipped for the ministry that God 
has called us to. We have a couple of deadlines, uh, some that have already passed. The early registration is already beyond us. You have kind of that mid-range cost, which is only $50 more that goes all the way up to about June 15th. But then if you wait after June 15th, there's a late registration and it goes up uh, yet again. So if you haven't already registered, please, we encourage you to do that. We will be live streaming the main events, the things that are in the sanctuary, the worship services, the plenary sessions, and so forth. Um, We will be live streaming those so you can watch even if you're not able to make it. But we do encourage you to consider come and be a part of what God is doing in this global movement of the EPC church family. And we hope to see you in Denver, Colorado, June 20th through the 22nd of this year. Famously, I mean, Aaron, you can correct me on this, but I believe it's John Piper that has said that mission exists for the places where worship does not. And uh, we will come together and worship, but also equip ourselves for mission for those who are yet to worship the one upon whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so we're excited about that. And those worship services frame our time. Our worship leader and speaker, preacher for Wednesday morning is Aaron White. And Aaron is the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in South Charleston, Ohio. And he'll tell you exactly where to find South Charleston, Ohio on the map. He's a graduate of Covenant Theological Seminary. He has got his PhD, I believe it's from the University of Bristol, if I remember, in uh, New Mm -hmm. Testament studies and is actively involved in a great group of teaching elders in the EPC called the Westminster Society. He'll be doing some things at this General Mm. Assembly. Aaron might be able to help us understand some of what they have in store for us as well. Actively involved in his presbytery, presbytery of the Midwest. And if I remember correctly from something I read a while ago, because this sticks with someone like me, uh, has six Mm. kids, three boys and three girls. As a guy with seven kids, when I see someone with six (laughs) kids, I go, well, there's somebody else out there Almost as crazy as I am. That's right. That's right. That's right. Same ballpark. So Aaron, um, welcome to In All Things and help us to get to know you a little bit. Give us some more background beyond what I've just uh, kind of done at the surface level. And as so that uh, when people come or or tune in to General Assembly on Wednesday morning, here you preach, they'll get a sense of who it is that's bringing them the word that morning. Thanks for having me. And I think you got the John Piper thing right. That sounds about like what I would expect him to say. And it's good stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about how we're framing GA right now and excited to see how it unfolds. I mean, uh, my wife and I were from the central Ohio area, uh, both graduated from the same high school. She was a year behind me. Did you guys know each other in high school? We did actually. Uh, okay. Funny story. First time she saw me in the school and she'll tell this story from time to time is that she looked over at her friend and said, wow, he's tall. i i would have preferred it being like wow he's i don't know really attractive or something but the tall part uh uh, came out it got her attention that's all that counts (laughs) it did yeah so she um she's very active in athletics at uh, the school there as well as in in college and and we were both in the marching band together and just had a crossover of friends so we knew you knew each other there and started dating when we were down at ohio university in athens ohio Uh, not to be confused with the rather larger college up in Columbus, the Ohio State University. Yeah, we know each other through college time uh, after high school and uh, both served as student volunteers with Campus Crusade while we were there and 
Okay. Actively involved in small groups and discipling uh, younger believers. And so found that to be kind of a, a touch point that we enjoyed and actually spent a couple of years on crew staff at OU after we graduated. So spent, spent time there. It was actually while I was on staff. I heard an older gentleman who had been on staff with the crew for a while, his name was Jim Sylvester. He held up his Bible during a training time and said, there was a moment in my life where I realized I wanted this to be my life textbook. And I think what he meant really was, broadly speaking, for all believers, this should be our life textbook. But I really took it as a much more clear call to ministry. Um, This is... This is something that I want to be determinative of what I'm doing as my vocation and what I'm passing on. You know, the whole Second Timothy 2.2 idea of passing on the baton of faith. That was another thing that a staff member said is Christianity is one generation from extinction. And what they meant is, you know, you're not born a Christian. You might be born into a covenant family, you know, be baptized into the faith. But there is a point at which you need to make that faith your own. and. Uh, I thought, what better calling could I have than to, in a ministry, I thought that would be college ministry, which it was for a while, but through time, it actually turned into local church pastoral ministry. Okay. Um, my wife shared that call too. And so uh, that, that kind of killed two birds with one stone. I said, well, that's the woman for me and that's the calling for me. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we ended up. I think uh, campus ministry, and I'm a biased here, Aaron, because uh, like you, Coming out of college, I spent three years in uh, campus ministry with the CCO, the Coalition for Christian Outreach. Mm -hmm. I think about that time as how formative it was for me in terms of shaping how I would become a pastor. You know, I I really was able to develop a biblical worldview while while I was Mm -hmm. with the CCO. And crew is so good, particularly in evangelism and intentional discipleship. I mean, they are really laser focused on that and, and super intentional. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many times if I had a, a dollar for every time I've heard somebody from crew use the word intentional, I'd be retiring right about now. I think. <laughs> yes, that's true. And that's something the church desperately needs. So, I mean, those mm-hmm. learning that skill set and bringing that into the local church, Paul says to Timothy, fulfill your work as an evangelist. And mm-hmm. that's to Timothy, who's a pastor, having that skill set honed and developed, particularly in next gen, is pretty foundational for going on and being a pastor, isn't it? Well, I think it is. And uh, yeah, I definitely, um, in my time with crew, saw that evangelism and discipleship was what was going to undergird my scholarship. I mean, that's why I ultimately went and researched for a PhD, which might for some seem kind of big, but it was it was definitely for the purposes of evangelism and discipleship, but also I notice in the way that I lead this organization of this local church, I bring in Cruz win, build, send model. You know, the the tendency for a small church or churches in general is kind of do the status quo thing and a whole year can go by and you just, you don't even notice. But if you start harnessing the cycles of the year in a strategic way, movement starts building. Mm. And mm. what you see in that movement is you see more people coming to hear the word preached more people being discipled. So instead of having a church calendar, for example, we have what we call cycles in detail. Mm. So we go through the the cycles of the year. And so basically, you know, if we're in a win time of the year, we're doing win stuff, we're building momentum, we're gathering people. We're not drilling down in small groups quite yet because that's in the build part. So we're trying to make sure that we're 
going with the natural cycles and flow of the year. So that's all from, you know, my time and crew. Wow. That's super helpful. And uh, you brought in, um, I was able to visit with your Presbytery recently and uh, you're the head of the program committee, which does some of the kind of like the resourcing best practices, teaching things that are part of your Presbytery meeting, which is a real gift. And the missiologist that you brought in talked about the importance of movements. Um, yes. And I think that's something the American church needs to pay more attention to, right? I mean, the church in China, the church in India, uh, the global South as a whole, you can track these movements and you can actually watch the spirit of God almost move across the globe. And in the U.S., we don't tend to think that way. But here you are in a local church. And I believe First Pres South Charleston is a, is, is a smaller congregation. I mean, it's not a mega church or anything like that. Um, and yep. you're in kind of a, you know, a real American heartland sort of community. And yet yep. you're still paying attention to things like how God and his spirit works in terms of movements. So talk to me a little bit about pastoring in a, in a smaller church and sure. paying attention to how God is at work uh, so that that kind of dovetails into how you do ministry. So our church, I think we'd technically be in that medium size. We're a 230 member church. Okay. Since, since I've arrived here, my administrative assistant just told me two days ago, there's been 91 new members. And wow. um, I kind of sat back and I thought, well, when you say that number, it sounds big, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, we've had two new member classes per year. And um, much of that has to do with the fact that we, as, as uh, Don Grigorinko, who was the missiologist, who's speaking, talking about some of our global workers, they look for affinity groups, right? And so for me, I became a member, an associate member. I'm not retired military, but you could be an associate member of the American Legion. And so never thought that would be a thing for mm. me. But, mm. you know, I became a member of that or the farming community has adopted me. So I go have coffee with the farmers many mornings in kind of a, just a small back room of the mini mart. And you definitely have to have an invitation. You don't just go back there. Otherwise right. they get quiet and kind of wait for you to leave. But, you know, um, <laughs> but these you know, are the affinity groups you're talking about. Affinity groups. You know, I was the assistant band director and then the interim band director for our school district. In my first several years here worked with future farmers of America doing a farmer share breakfast. So just getting out and um, showing a small community that you care about them, because I think when they see that, that, that makes that makes a huge difference. And through that, I kind of generally as the pastor have a policy that I don't invite people to church. And that might sound weird, mm -hmm. but I don't invite people to church because I think that in all the ways that it can come off, most of them can be either heavy handed or kind of negative. Mm -hmm. But despite that, we have people come and darken the door of the church just because they've seen that myself, the ruling elders, you know, that they care about the community. And they're like, well, this message looks looks compelling. So we kind of want to see what's going on. I've actually literally heard that before. Hmm. People who have come to church, I'm not generally surprised when people come just because the Holy Spirit's at work. But there's been a couple of times where people have come and I'm like, all right, now that's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll hear these words kind of come back around to me. There's one older pastor once said to me, he said, pastors aren't deaf. And what he meant is, it's all, you're going to hear it all. It's all going to come back around to you. And a couple of people have said, I just wanted to come and see what was going on. Mm. That was literally all they, they just wanted to come and see what was happening. So mm. what's well, so, the yeah. power of incarnational ministry, right? Mm. You're kind of living life in those affinity groups, being who God has made you to be. You're not pressing a heavy cell, but people see it. They're curious. The spirit is at work. 
and every now and then God surprises you. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a, that's a beautiful picture of a faithful life lived in the context of community. And I would say, Aaron, you know, I pastored, I pastored an 80 member church. I've pastored a 350 member church and I've pastored a 1500 member church. And, mm-hmm. and from my experience, the 350 member church was the hardest in a mm-hmm. lot of respects. And so you're just over the threshold. I think, you know, this is an arbitrary number. It really doesn't mean anything, but we consider a smaller church under 200. So you're, mm-hmm. you're now, you're mm-hmm. now out of that category and you're, you're moving in the direction of the other. And I will just tell you, you know, when you start moving up into that 300 range, it will stretch you and pull you in ways that you haven't been before because of the kind of growth opportunity, responsibilities, and yet resources not yet quite, the resources don't keep up with the opportunities. I guess that's maybe one way I could, could phrase it. But what are you yeah, experiencing yeah. so far as you're, you've had these, you know, 90 plus new members uh, recently in the last couple of years. I mean, and you're in an area where you're starting to see the fruit of that labor coming home. What are some of the challenges of a, a church your size that you're seeing right now? Well, I think you kind of hit it on, on the head saying like, look, you know, all the studies show, and I'm, I'm not a huge data guy. I think that they sometimes can lose context, but, um, you know, 200 is kind of a magic number. And the reason, and this has been a big discussion of our session, uh, we have a very shepherding driven session. Uh, that was one thing as a sidebar, uh, when I first got here, I could tell the session just, they didn't want to have committees anymore. So we actually, we actually got rid of committees. Like standing committee. I have a saying, Aaron, God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. Yeah, it's been good for us because um, we can really shepherd. And one of, one of the discussions that comes up is, you know, when you enter into this medium church realm, there, there seems to still be this illusion that the, the pastor has all the time to be accessible right. that I don't really have anymore. Right. And um, what that means is oftentimes you'll maybe uh, hire an assistant pastor. Or, and or, maybe I should say, but right now we're at the or, is that your ruling elders really take on the responsibility to be co-pastors. I mean, they are co-ministers with you, which I think scripture and, and our book of order really lays down a good precedence for. So I've, I've seen that uh, happen in our context. Are, uh, I mean, one of my ruling elders, I shouldn't say my ruling elders, one of the ruling elders, he's functionally my executive pastor right now. He takes a lot of time out of his schedule to do HR stuff, uh, meet with some members that he can communicate with better than I can. I think you're right about resources, too. We're always scheduling ahead. Uh, Our budget has nearly doubled in five years. And we're always, I always say we're always six months behind. So Mm. we'll, we'll schedule out the budget that we need. And we'll see it actually uh, come to realization maybe April or May the next year. So mm-hmm. the trends will show that. So, so what you have to do is all those balanced budget folks out there that really need to see the black and white. This is a real testing thing to them. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with the disk analysis, these are high C people. They need to see it right in front of them. With me being a high I, I'm okay with like, oh, it'll come in. It's fine, guys. But you know, you have to take a lot more time as, I guess, their pastor, their teaching elder to say, look, I know what you're feeling. You know, this is, this is a real stretch here, this kind of marathon training here. Right. And so walk through that with them. In fact, one thing that we're doing to head this off a little bit, pastor people better, is that our session and our deacons are putting together a five-year vision plan for 
facilities and finances. And that way we can all be on the same page right. and, uh, and actually not every year kind of hit the panic button, right. right. As we're growing, um, right. but rather know that this was coming. Okay. We saw this eyes wide open. Yeah. It's challenging. As one of my elders said, look, who, who went to sail across the ocean and didn't expect to run into some waves over the sea, right? It's, it's going to happen. Right. So those are a couple particular challenges for sure. Okay. Well, one of, my, one of the seven great men who shaped my life, Aaron, his name is E. Walford Thompson. And uh, Walford has a high eye on disc and had a, ah, a saying yep. that uh, I've clung to for 36 years of pastoral ministry, which is vision precedes resources. And mm -hmm. um, I think you're wise to get a team together to seek out after the Lord and what his vision for you is, because um, when people see that vision and they, especially when they know it's of the Lord and have godly leadership leading them in that direction, then typically the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He opens up his resources to support that, showing that right. you've stepped out in faith to follow what he is doing and not, you know, you coming up with some cute creative plan. So yeah. I'm excited for you guys. That's awesome stuff. Well, we need to turn the corner a little bit and, and sure. look ahead too towards General Assembly because you're our preacher on Wednesday morning. And uh, mm -hmm. first of all, tell us uh, why you said yes and uh, what it, the Lord has laid on your heart to preach. Well, I mean, uh, Mike Davis is a hard guy to say no to. So uh, I would uh, I would say that when, when Mike, uh, I think, called me. Mike and I have actually, I think we graduated from Covenant together. Um, I hope that's not why he chose me. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a there great is a bit of there is a bit of a covenant fraternity. I'm learning. I, I'm definitely <laughs> seeing that. Oh uh, yeah, well we we hold tight together. No, there's a, well, and I think it is because when we're at covenant, we we saw such healthy uh, ministry happening. A lot of co-teaching at covenant. So we saw our professors stand up in front and agree on most things, but disagree on other things and do it very charitably. And so I. I have appreciated that as a sidebar, just kind of taking that forward. But I mean, I agreed to do it mainly because I just think it's a great opportunity to minister to my sisters and brothers in the denomination. I mean, that's, you know, if you, if you get this opportunity, it's probably something uh, you should do. I think me in particular, one of my strengths in my ministry, and, and I, I don't mean this to sound maybe the way it might, but I, I really feel a call to preach. And so that's, you know, something that I feel like, okay, God kind of saw that and through Michael or whatever decision-making process, you know, that, that was kind of that outward, outward call in some, some smaller way. So, yeah. um, well, he and yeah. I work collaboratively on that. And, uh, as mm. you might not be surprised and, you know, he's the one that made the play. He came and said, man, this is a guy we got to get. And I was like, okay, man, you know him, you trust him, you got him, go get it. And, uh, he's super excited as I am at to see what the Lord is going to bring through you. And, and so what's your text and what, what's the big idea of the message you're going to bring? Sure. So we've been doing a whole year here at First Pres on the Apostle Paul and his letters. We actually, the whole series has been called Corresponding with Paul. In fact, we, we wrote up a whole daily devotional book that coincides with the sermon series for our, our members. And so I'm kind of abstracting this out of the middle of it. Actually, it's week 21. We're in 1 Corinthians 12, which I preached, as you can imagine, if it's 21, quite a few weeks back. But Paul's addressing a Corinthian audience, and as you notice through most of his epistles, he's addressing unity in one way or another. Very often, it's unity between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. What he's encountering in 1 Corinthians is kind of a particular disunity, and it's a disunity really born upon, I'm smarter than you are, 
I follow the right teacher and you don't. I mean, that's where you get that. I follow Apollos. I follow Christ. I follow Paul. I always love that. I follow Christ thing. Cause I still think we get that in our culture. It's like, Oh, well you follow all those denominations. Well, I follow Jesus. Right. <laughs> kind of the, uh, the super spiritual Trump card. Well, I follow Jesus. And everyone kind of gives a side eye, like nice conversation can't continue now. Right. Um, so, but uh, he's getting to this point where he's drawing together what their congregation life should look like. And he comes to this body analogy that it's famous for. But before he hits that in First Corinthians 12, he talks about how we're regenerated by one spirit. So he doesn't want them to lose their diversity, right? He doesn't want them to lose who God created them to be individually. But he wants that diversity to bring upon unity. That's where we get that university, unity and in diversity, you know, diverse subject matters towards creating a more whole person, right? Right. So what he's really, my main idea here is that we must eagerly desire unity, you know, instead of eagerly desiring the right teacher or the right lifestyle or mm. Mm. the right opinion. We, uh, unity becomes the principal matter. However, he says, look, we have various gifts but we're in one spirit. So embrace the various gifts. But the principal thing is the one spirit. Then he moves on the body analogy. We have various members, right? Hands, feet. I'll even throw out belly button, spleen, you know, just to <laughs> keep people engaged. Like, look, there's a lot of body members, uh, you know, members of the body. Like the pinky toe. But we are, that the pinky toe, that's right. Well, imagine, talk to somebody that doesn't have one. It's harder to walk. But, you know, we're all, we all have one head and that's, and that's Jesus. And so that even shows up on our organizational structural material here at First Pres is that King Jesus is at the top. Then everything else comes down from there. So right. he's the head. And so, I mean, one of the major things, and I don't want to, as I say to my congregation from time to time where I start preaching before I preach, right? But I, I think that one of the things is that, you know, when the Spirit baptizes us, we stop kind of being this thing that the world wants us to be. We, we kind of leave those dividing markers of the world behind where we don't, we don't change who we are essentially because God designed us purposefully, but we are also eagerly desiring unity. You know, this diversity, as I say, will say and have said diversity presumes unity. I mean, it has to have unity. Uh, this diversity very, very often now in our culture, we're very much like finding like-minded you know, group, right? Like-mindedness is not unity. It's uniformity. That's a, that's a totally different thing. Right. And so the, the Christian message is unity, not as we see in many different facets, uh, uniformity. So mm. that, that's kind of the, okay. that's probably a little more than you wanted. No, but, uh, that's, that's, that's great. That's I mean, you got me excited. You got me excited for Wednesday morning worship now. I mean, as the state clerk of the denomination, Aaron, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that that's the message the Lord has put on your heart because, you know, I think biblically, uh, not only does Jesus obviously pray for us to be unified, but he connects unity with our mission, right? You know, mm -hmm. when, so that kind of, um, so I'm just super excited that you're going to be preaching that and I didn't put you up to it either. So that's awesome. <laughs> so one Great. last thing before we close out, I know you're also involved sure. in the Westminster Society. What, what does uh, that group have planned for GA? I heard you saying that earlier and uh, my good friend Zach Hopkins and I uh, will bat things back and forth. Uh, I know that uh, our former state clerk, Jeff Jeremiah, will be uh, coming in and presenting some of his 
research, which I'm excited about because I'm sure maybe you know some of it. I don't know. I, I mean, I know that he uh, he led uh, not with his academic degree, but he does have that background. So I'll be interested. I'll be interested to hear what he has to say. As topics go, I'm not exactly sure. Now, I, you know, I've presented for them as a New Testament scholar over the last several years and uh, presented on things like discipleship, evangelism, prayer, you know, congregational growth from a biblical perspective, from my expertise. And standing there and presenting, listening to the other presenters has always been just really edifying because I think, I think it's really important that pastors continue to be equipped and educated. We're one of the weird professions that doesn't have continuing education requirements. Right. And so, you know, that's something that I've, I'm rabbit trailing on this a little bit, but that's something that I've really cultivated in our, in our programs at Presbyteries. I want them to be equipping educational times so that we do get that informal kind of sharpening. And I, I think that's really been the place of the Westminster Society. I know that's been Zach's heart uh, as he's bringing forward, you know, seminars that he wants to provide really good material that will continue to grow our pastors and their understanding of scripture and as practitioners, what to do with it. So, well, Jeff is like you, he's a scholar pastor, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. most often we know him having served the denomination faithfully for 15 years really is almost like the lead pastor of the denomination. He shepherded yeah. so many congregations faithfully into the EPC and cared for them so well. But what undergirded that was his um, commitment to historic scholarship and as a Westminster uh, confession scholar himself. So mm-hmm. I think uh, having him speak at, at Westminster would be worth the, worth the trip all by itself. So grateful yeah. for, for all that that group does to contribute to the richness and fullness of the life of the EPC and for you saying yes to preaching uh, for what you do at First Pres South Charleston and um, your involvement in the Presbytery. Aaron, it's, um, it's a delight to be with someone who is uh, as articulate as you, who is uh, thoughtful the way you are, down to earth, easy to connect with, a pastor, scholar. And I just think when I see you and I have conversations with you, I'm, I'm so excited about the future of the EPC and just grateful, grateful that you could join us today and grateful that you'll be one of our preachers at GA. Absolutely. And before you let me go, I, uh, I want to tell you our, our conversation after business uh, this past weekend, you're telling me about a particular episode of The Chosen. And uh, strangely enough, my wife turned that episode on as I got home from Presbytery and got to see exactly what you're talking about. Oh, I, nice. I, yeah, so it was, it was kind of a full circle. But yeah, good conversations. Appreciate what you're doing. And uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Aaron. And uh, thank you for those of you who are not only listening into this conversation. I hope this gives you a, a taste. I think this, this conversation really gives us, you a taste of the culture of the EPC, both who we are, what we believe, what God has called us to do. But you can, I think here in the conversation between Aaron and I, kind of the, the fabric of who the EPC actually has been called to be. And I think if you come to our General Assembly, you'll experience that uh, firsthand because we know that our God is sovereign in all things. So we close, my friends, with that good word from God's word, as we always do from Colossians 1. Uh, Aaron referred earlier to the body metaphor used in Corinthians, and of course, Christ is the head of the church, and Paul comes back and revisits that here uh, in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, he is before all things, my friends, and in him, that is in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in him, all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church, and that includes BEPC. Well, my friends, uh, please like and share us on social. Get the word out there so these conversations can magnify and uh, glorify the Lord. And uh, we appreciate your help with that. And until the next time we gather in this venue, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.